Episode seven, Design Company Podcast. How exciting and how time flies. Brother Mohammed, how are you doing? I am uh, very well, thank you. Uh, happy for us to be here. And today is a very, very entertaining and fun topic, which may not seem entertaining to some. <laughs> Processes. <laughs> processes <laughs> so rules books <laughs> all these kind of things how do we make that into something actually useful that's the question you know like I, okay first things first i got to <laughs> confession to make here that like when i finished my master's degree i had this kind of near obsession of wanting to be a business process re-engineer okay that's that's what i wanted to be as my sort of tagline mm-hmm and in fact, I've ended up doing that throughout my career, but I've never called myself that. So that's my first confession out of the door, um, you know, shamelessly uh, admitted there. But, you know, the first thought that comes to me about processes is that uh, initially we, we always start with no process. We are having to either analyze it, find it, in the world, in the nature, in the kind of like environment, somehow document it and, and then look at how we can improve that process. That, that's kind of been my, my experience of working with processes. What's your take on it? So, I mean, yeah, before we dive into the seven design company review of processes, um, I would say one particular hypothesis, well, not more than a hypothesis, um, a fundamental principle, which is important to me, is that a process is something organic. So as you said, there is initially a void. And from this void, how do we create something that works, that is living, and that evolves? And isn't just some Bible handed down to you by a consultancy that never changes. So what, what do you mean, let's sort of uh, break down this word organic. What do you mean by organic exactly here? <clears throat> well, that's a perfect opportunity to dive into the purpose of processes, right? Mm -hmm. So when I say organic, ultimately, what, it, what is the purpose of a process? The purpose of a process is to achieve a specific task or workflow of separate tasks with a specific outcome and certain level of quality. So let's say I'm working at McDonald's. There is a process to preparing a Big Mac that ensures that it always has the same quality and that people will be healthy. Uh, let's say I work in a bank. There is a certain process to authorize financial transactions, which allows me to ensure that I protect my customers against fraud. Now, the thing with a process is that we're in a world that's evolving. And so therefore, what I mean by organic is you can't just have one process that's going to be the exact same for 10 years. What mm -hmm. you want is a process that evolves both in terms of the external environment. So let's say people uh, to want the, the official recipe of Big Net Mac should now contain tomatoes. Let's evolve the process, right? Let's go on a high-level example, professional services. Um, if I, as a worker who executes this process, identify an improvement to the process that will, resolve, re reduce, um, that will result in a better outcome for the end person benefiting from that process, I should be empowered to add to it. And so we'll go into detail later. But really, for me, organic processes are reacting to the external environment, and they are also being continually iterated upon internally by the people that execute them. Yeah, so it, it, it's really connecting to the nature of how people, right? How people work and mm. what, what people are able to comprehend. Uh, I had a, almost like a three-hour conversation with a psychology student uh, the other night 
who is working and actually some sort of like process mapping the, the sort of the entire tree of knowledge, let's say knowledge, uh, and, and, and enabling like quantum shifts for people to kind of go through like three stages of, of traversal to get to any realization in knowledge uh, through this. But uh, what I was talking to him about is that, is that people have these mental models which are really models of how a process ought to work for them to do a job. And for us, certainly as UX designers uh, and any sort of consultants, we've got to really understand those mental models that operate in human minds to be able to map them out and then work towards them uh, in, the, in the people realm. Uh, that's the other thing that was kind of like very strongly reiterated back to me uh, and, and, and again, sort of like, which is why I spent 15 years distilling out the designed company model as a mental model, right? That works so well and that, that, that clicks in so many people's minds because words like purpose, people, uh, systems, innovation, products, money, and growth are so digestible and easy unlike various heavy duty words like operations, finances, sales, marketing, all these things that most people don't really know what they mean. Certainly. So, I mean, just in terms of that, before we jump into, you know, the systems, because processes are often confused with systems, but there's actually different, you know, different items to consider there. But if we look at the people involved in a process, I would say that, you know, the first thing is who does this process benefit? Who is this process serving? And ideally, if you can't answer that question, should that process even really exist? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> um, if, if a process doesn't benefit people... Why yeah. are we running it? <laughs> <laughs> um, the second thing is the, the designer of the process. Now, often, you know, for reasons re related to skill, knowledge, legal requirements, it's not always the same as the person that's executing it. So we also have the designers of the process. And then we have or designers and guardians. And then we have the um, executor, um, the people who execute the process, right? The workers, etc. Um, do you see any other groups of people involved in processes? Um, so there, there, there are people, <laughs> they, what, what they call in the, in the Stanford School of Design, the kill zone, the management, yeah? <laughs> uh, uh, people who, who are managing the processes and in some sense enforcing the processes. Uh, and I really dislike that, that word enforcing. Um, really, they ought to be um, enabling the processes to be followed, implemented, you know, improved, mm -hmm. or, you know, guiding, you know, people on why the process is there, how it's there, and how maybe it should be improved uh, or could be improved. Uh, so, so management is the, is the big thing. Um, and, and, and often the time, you know, that also involves the management consultant, right, who, who is kind of – because a lot of the time you find that the management per se, the kind of BAU management in a company – doesn't really ever want to mess with the process because they internally know that changing the process has a knock-on downstream impact on a lot of things. So they're very like uh, uh, touchy-feely. And this would explain and describe why 
why so much management uh, staff are, are sort of like more of a kill zone as in don't 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 tell me to change the process i want to maintain the process as it is because they don't necessarily know how to change the process that's why they bring in management consultants who are one two three uh, steps removed usually from the actual day-to-day uh, sort of operations of the company and unless they're a very good management consultant like us uh they they would just kind of do it in a very shallow way and then the processes that they bring in especially the evolutionary processes or revolutionary processes will not work and that would that would describe and explain why uh you know they can't really build a, a 400 million uh dollar website you know uh because yeah it just doesn't really fit in certainly so i mean that's actually quite an interesting revelation there so we mentioned you know there's four groups of people there's the person that benefits, the person that executes, the guardian of the process, and the designer of the process. Um, I'd actually like to use those four people now as the basis of a system for managing processes, right? So if you look at the systems in design company, it's IT, it's infrastructure, it's processes as well. It's all the stuff that serves the continuous operation of a company. Um, but if you look at systems in an abstract sense, it's anything that we put into place um, I would say the founding principles that guide on v- ongoing evolution of something. And in that respect, you know, when we have processes, it's quite meta, but what systems are we using <laughs> to manage our processes? Yeah, yeah I, I delivered a keynote at one point at the product. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny because I actually did deliver the keynote twice, the sort of slightly different way. One was at a UX conference, which is called System of Systems for Designing Systems. And then I toned it down at a product conference and just called it Systems for Designing, for Creating Products, okay? Mm-hmm. Just to kind of tone it down. Uh, the first one was like meta, meta, meta. And the second one was meta. Okay. And uh, because there is the process for designing processes. And these meta processes are so powerful that that they can literally shift civilizations if they're used and reused and and, and applied properly uh, and so so that is where designed company model is so powerful because it's a, it's it's a fractal process in itself that can be applied to onto itself uh, and so you don't need to know the meta process to affect the process yeah it's like the process itself is also a meta process and so uh uh this is this is an important consideration also in the design of this thing yeah so because in in both conferences people got lost and 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 sort of overly wondering what i was really talking about and so one of the things that was very important for me to, to kind of go like, how can we collapse this down into oneness, so to speak, mm. uh, to, to, to not confuse people? Certainly. And, you know, by the, that's a very integral way, which, by the way, is the name of the integral yeah. <laughs> consulting firm. So it makes yeah. sense. Exactly. Um, so in terms of that, actually, you mentioned the systems and first principles. I think that actually ties nicely with innovation. Why, Why innovation systems go together? 
Um, you and I have both seen this. Often when people talk about innovation, it's presented as being in a rupture with the past, you know? So it's always self-disrupting, always throwing away everything from the past. Um, but the thing is, if you burn everything to the ground and rebuild everything, it's going to take pretty long to have something decent and it's not going to be sustainable, right? So I think there, if we're looking at innovation in terms of our system that we use to manage our process, it's about having small iterations and increments and having a clear way of build, you know, bringing in new levels of best knowledge. So I always see this in companies very often. And this is one of the things that differentiates so many companies, the ones that have a good employee onboarding and the ones that have terrible employee onboarding. So if you look at process, right, what is a process in its most essential format for a company? Well, I would say a process is basically the you know, intellectual cookbook to achieve a certain task. Now, the question is, when I come into that company and I don't have that tribal knowledge that other people have, how easy for me is it, first of all, to know that this recipe even exists, and secondly, to put it into practice, and thirdly, to actually bring improvements to it? And so I think a big thing there is making sure that knowledge about processes is diffused as much as possible and that people are also empowered to bring improvements to it in a very organic fashion. Correct. And the, I mean, I've, I've spoken, I, I end up learning so much, for example, about the process by speaking to people who are theoretically way out of field of my work. So for example, I spoke to like an old uh, Bosnian man who recently got um, uh, retired from working at post office. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I sat with him and said like, okay, so what's your area of expertise? And he says, well, I'm a process optimization manager. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that I wasn't expecting to hear that. So we started getting into this like heavy duty conversation around uh, what does that mean at post office? And he said, well, basically I spend majority of my time observing a whole bunch of relatively low skilled people, right? And seeing how they're packing or shifting through various kind of types of uh, letters and uh, packages and so on and how those processes can be improved and where they're wasting tons and tons of materials time uh, human energy movement etc etc and also where they're being actually where they're harming their bodies right because you find that these people like even if people like repacking letters or having to stamp the letters if they're hitting them extra time you know they start getting rsi all sorts of injuries and those injuries then are actually claimed against a post office which are paid for by like taxpayer etc so those are kind of rolls up to uh people who seemingly have got nothing to do with this like mm -hmm. taxpayers uh and so so I actually ended up having like very profound conversations with this man and learning about his process to improving processes and how this is actually even um, uh, captured internally as a, as a proposal, right, to improve. It's some sort of a Kaizen thing, but overly administrated so that it doesn't really come into play because, again, the kill zone, the management goes like, no, because you start realizing that there are certain like vested interests that some processes are actually there and they're saying, hey, we don't actually need any of these four, five, six, seven, ten people here doing this because if we bring in this process, then those people are not needed at all. And um, 
you know, so, so then, then people start kind of going, well, I don't want to actually improve the process because I don't want to fire myself from the company. And this is actually a big, big uh, challenge in bringing in any kind of change or transformation in corporations because people start actually sabotaging the process of changing the processes. <laughs> and, and that's why I think as well, it's important, you know, if we're working with a company that wants to, you know, Im improve their team and improving processes, improve like the collect, use the collective intelligence of the team. There also has to be this mindset that a person, you know, if you reduce a person to their kind of professional value, they are not their job. They are their mindset and their skills and their ability to learn. And so in that respect, you know, as long as a, comp as a company that you have a commitment to your people and they have a commitment to you to redeploy them in new ways that serve your customers, that serve business, you know, business products, etc. it's fine to destroy jobs because ultimately that person is part of a greater purpose, a mission, and their job is only one temporary thing within a greater context. Exactly. And so again, if you use um, design company model itself, if you establish and have process awareness to such an extent, you can realize that the purpose of your company is to purposefully guide your people through a systemic innovative product evolution that generates more money and saves more money so everyone can grow including the people mm -hmm. certainly and well yeah i mean that, that, that's a very very damn good summary pretty much <laughs> but you know you, you mentioned the thing of products there so let's get a bit more technical into the nitty-gritty the actual product of the process right so what i see today is two types of products one of them we need to kill um or at least modernize and the other one is the actual product so if we look at the process right it's ultimately the benefit that is produced for an individual you know or a certain outcome so it could be a physical product it could be a piece of information such as a report or a piece of data that they need you know it's something tangible that brings benefit to that individual there's the other products of the process which is actually often prioritized above the first product which is the documentation of that process <laughs> right and this mm. product i think and this is something actually i want to look at in the future of design company software is basically you know the the company handbook the employee manual uh the uh, 72 page book for a certain department when you come in that nobody reads and that's mm. never been open for the past two years mm. you know for me this is the product that has to be modernized and that has to be put into the context of being a vector of knowledge for the people that are executing it and also just being there to remind that we are serving a person and just being something that's living, breathing, and evolving in service of a specific purpose and individual. Okay, so I've got a little bit of a kind of a rebuttal in a sense to make to that because I'd say the core product of a process is the output that process creates, mm -hmm. okay? Because let's say, you know, Typically, I describe systems work in, in the sim simple sense of they take an input, they process it, and they produce an output, which uh -huh. should be of some sort of higher order value than what the input was. Uh, so like the input of wheat and flour or whatever and water uh, should be less uh, valuable than output of bread through a Certainly. process of making bread. And so... Uh, so that's the core product of a process, the output. 
And then the manual on how the process works ought to be so natural to people that to the point where it's not necessary uh, to, to be had there. So if I take, for example, an iPad here that I've got, okay, mm -hmm. it's been so reduced down to nothing that there, there, there has never been a manual for this button here yeah. Which you just can press and then it comes on. And then it's like, well, you actually never needed to tr get trained to use an iPad because the manual is actually procedurally baked into the usability of the product. And this is ultimate usability and great user experience where you literally don't feel that you are benefiting and getting the value out of the process because the product is so well designed you don't have to think about how it's used so if i may let me rebut your rebuttal by <laughs> by, Rebound. By, by integrating into the point i was making look you said something actually very good um which i really want to highlight including my point before um no documentation is better than documentation, right? So if you can actually eliminate documentation because something is so obvious, you want to do that. Um, what I'm saying more is that, you know, in business, you know, you have some processes which are pretty complex, which involve multi-stage workflows, which, you know, you need to get information in different places, and there's a certain tribal knowledge of how to do certain things, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is those specific best practices should be documented and organic. But I do agree with you that, that documentation, however it lives, should be as succinct and small as possible. And really just like having the gold in there. So not a rebuttal, but like an additional point, which is that this goes back to that, like the, the meta aspect of the design company model, which is that you could document the product process by using design company model to say, what's the purpose of the product? or this process? Who are the people who use this process or product? How does, the, how does it work systemically? What's innovative about it? What is the product? How does it work, etc.? How does it save and help work, gain money? How is this supposed to grow the company or, you know, the, so, so that, that there's, a, there's a potential way to, to, to again, nest the, the model, the framework into this documentation so that people don't have to relearn again new concepts like what how they how do i like because for example one of the the, the the troubles let's say could be around uh how does a person know how to document a process it's like well if you as long as you know the co design company model you then know how to also document the process how to do, how to document all sorts of things without having yeah. to learn yet another model yet another thing yet another thing and literally somebody <laughs> listening to us now can go away whoever you are a listener take these seven areas purpose people systems innovation products money and growth we've just saved you 50k consulting fees now <laughs> exactly but uh, you know it's it's it, it's a question i'm also having this you know um, uh, lack of discipline to some extent it's like how disciplined are you on on using your own knowledge right to apply it which is ultimately wisdom right you go you want to be as wise as possible uh you know but like nobody really likes a wise man so much but you know well then become one you know and you're going to do that by applying the model consistently 
you know, and the knowledge from it to the, to the practices that you do. So, yeah. Certainly. And I mean, so, so talking about that then, just money well spent, right? I think today, I mean, I, I don't even have the figures right now, but the, the market in terms of business process management and re-engineering is billions. Like it's, it's just huge. And it's all this money being spent on paper that's really only understandable by experts who also speak the same language and who often don't practice that process, right? So if we're going to have a healthy relationship between money and processes, what would that be for you? The healthy relationship between money and processes is to not judge the process by the process. Judge it by its output in terms of money, saving or gaining, right? So I've actually had in the past, and this is a little bit of like a, a, a sort of weirdness how, how some people's minds work. I worked with a client. I brought in a process that that optimized every single one of their process internally. We redesigned their entire platform. In that year, they had the best year ever. Okay. And then when I left, they fell back into the kind of regular, kind of lulled, kind of non really improvement driven approach to business. And then they briefed me in to do a job for them that wasn't really thought out with a purpose properly, okay? And I flagged that up, right? I flagged that up early on. I said, like, there's no amount of design that can really fix a badly uh, set out business idea, okay? So I did my best work, and the guy wasn't really happy with it. And I said, like, no, no, like, Steve Jobs' spirit reincarnated couldn't fix this, like, badly thought out thing. And so the guy started complaining and, and I said to him, like, you had the best year in your business ever because when I was there and things were happening the way I set out from the purpose, that's what the result was. Like whatever process I applied, okay? And then as soon as I left, you lot went with whatever you did and now you're blaming me even though I wasn't there, you know, for, so, so judge the process by the outcomes, not by the, not by the, the process itself. You know, that, that would be my, my thing. And, and we know, right, that the, the process of applying design company model works in sales, works in products, works in innovation, works in people, works in purpose, works in systems, works in the whole lot. That's the whole point. Exactly. So, I mean, in that respect, it ties nicely to the final theme of growth. And here, you know, for me, I'm sharing a personal story. So what I found in terms of growth and processes is that if you want growth, you need processes, right? And I'm not even talking about going from 10 employees to 100 employees, you know. I'm even talking in terms of a Kaizen, very personal approach to growth in terms of your results as mm-hmm. measured by money, conversations, etc. What I found is... Having a process, you know, in terms of, okay, how am I going to reach out to customers? How am I going to interact with customers? And then continuously asking yourself, how did I perform? How can I do better? Instead of changing everything all the time and reinventing from scratch, right? Having something that I'm building on every day, that is something that shows clear results. And so in that respect, we've talked a lot today about, you know, processes at an organizational level, multi-stage workflows. Um, well, that's all good for growing a company, bringing on more employees, right? 
But ultimately, good process starts with self, and it starts with being consistent in whatever you're doing, and also being, you know, being self-aware enough to throw yourself into question, you know, not metaphysically, existentially through your whole life, you know, but read it's like <laughs> <laughs> do that in the fresh mind process. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But you know, read it's like question yourself on this particular thing that you're doing and ask yourself how you can improve. And if you can't do that, then you're not re- you can't redo really an organization. But if you can healthily question yourself and improve yourself, that is a beautiful um, I'm looking for the word. Augur, augur in French, okay. for the future. Uh, so, uh, and this is another kind of, um, you see, well, like, they, they have this thing where, um, when I was working, I was going to have to tell a side story here to explain why this is so, like, a handsaw, okay, is a pretty magnificent tool. Okay. When I was working as a 16 year old on a, on a building site, I was working with this, um, uh, my, my girlfriend's father. Okay. Which is like a very, t- a very weird relationship, right? <laughs> to work with your girlfriend's father on a building site, right? The guy could have pushed you off the building at any time. <laughs> right. So it's, it's like, I, I took, that was like one of the greatest risks I ever took. But what, what we realized is that the hand saw, was a tool that you could use for so many different purposes, right? You could cut slates with it. You could cut wood. You could cut even um, uh, metal with it because these hands uh-huh. are strong. You can cut through bricks. You can cut through building blocks, all sorts of things. You can actually use a handsaw for lots of different purposes. And in that sense, there was like, if there was no handsaw on the building, building site, we would all get like all kind of, uh, worked up because we knew that with, without this one tool, we couldn't have really done pretty much anything. Uh-huh. And so in some sense, design company model is a bit like the handsaw because it also works on the individual level. So you can grow individually within the company while also growing the company. And if everyone was to do this, then we really get start getting these super exponen- exponential uh, changes that everyone is talking about and then saying, but the problem is people don't understand the exponents. And actually, the biggest people that don't understand exponents that I've found is people who talk about exponents, right? Because they miscalculate the quote-unquote exponential nature of all sorts of things. And then they track back and they go like, yeah, I know we said 2 million, but we've met really 20,000 and so on. It's like, with that, that's like four orders of magnitude differential. So what, what, what this works as is that it works for individuals, it works for groups, people, works for companies, works for nation level, uh, uh, you know, uh, setups, as well as humanity at large. And that's the idea of redesigning humanity. You can't be redesigning it with 700 different thousand models. It ought to be one model that generates like a fractal nature of universe that, that generates and regenerates and evolves everything in a very simplistic way because otherwise we are going to overcomplicate this and end up in complex situations that none of none of us ever want to be in and that create depression anxiety overwhelmedness and suicidal thoughts where it's like if someone wants to just send a letter right in a company that shouldn't require 17 levels of approval that ought to be quite a direct uh, so there's actually 
one final thought I want to finish on, which is very powerful here. You mentioned design company you notes, know, it's universal applicability. I was just thinking about some of the initial, you know, pilot projects that you and I are preparing kind of in the local government sector, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking, okay, you know, how can we apply this in terms of the, of the systems? And, you know, one particular theme is environment. So, you know, somebody mm-hmm. might say, you know, design company doesn't apply to environment, you know, where should that sit? And actually, I was thinking, no, it does, because everybody talks about the environment. Everybody has hippie mm-hmm. stuff. But, you know, what system, are, what system or what metrics are you putting into place mm-hmm. to actually measure the impact of the actions that people are taking for environment? And so in that respect, so what I like here with what the design company is, we have a very operational approach to systematize very philosophical stuff. Precisely. And so I recently, in the January this year, just before the pandemic broke out, I visited Davos and I went there because I wanted to hear from as many people who keep talking about circular economy and solutions for uh, sustainability of the world, blah, 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 ecosystems, preservation, and so on. It's like, great. I was expecting majority of these people to have solutions. They knew, like 99% of them knew exactly what the problems were. We all kind of can see them. You know, you just kind of turn around, you see rubbish in your local river. You turn around, you see lots of polluted air. You turn around, you see a lot of waste everywhere, right? People throwing food away and so on. But what's the solution? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we know what the problem is, but we don't really, we haven't really quite yet clocked onto the solution. Guess what? Design company is a circular model that is so easily applicable to every single thing that we know that it really matters. So when you then start applying these Kaizen processes to that every single thing that feeds in on itself, you actually start realizing that whether you know it or not, you are creating circular economy. There is the solution. And that's why we are going to be presenting this in Davos 2021 as the solution to all these problems that people have been talking about, but kind of keep scratching their heads and going, but we don't quite know what the solution is. Well, and not just that, but also showcasing the results we've achieved in the coming Precisely, year. Precisely, which is what I was saying about judge your process by the results it produces, not by the process itself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Exactly. I mean, that was a beautiful <laughs> conclusion. Um, I think you know, more of the story here. It's not bad for a completely unplanned uh, episode, right? <laughs> no, well, I think, you know, we've been planning for this episode all our lives. I think exactly. that's the reality here. Exactly. But, you know, so, so this is actually a profound thing, right? We want to have a model that very naturally taps into our naturally evolved full human potential without overloading our minds as to learning the model, but actually freeing our minds to do what we're naturally capable of doing and then basically put it into action, right? And create and have the results that we're really looking to have. And this is an excellent final thought, which is something I think very often I don't actually bring up, freeing our minds to do our best. That is ultimately what a process is. You know, people say, oh, I can't be creative with a process. No, a process is that recipe that then allows you to bring your human flourish to whatever you're doing. So as long as you realize that it's enabling you in greatness and not just restricting you in a cage and you have a healthy relationship, you're good to grow. Exactly.
you're good to grow. I love that. <laughs> love Thank you very much, brother. <laughs> Let's close Sounds it off good. on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Take care and see you next episode. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye.